I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right now at Safeway, get your skin winter ready with big savings on all your favorite skincare products. Shop for deals on items like Gillette Mach 3 razors, Gillette Labs razors and blades, Venus razors and blades, and native shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. Plus, shop the buy two, get one free baking event and save on items like selected varieties of handy foil and good cook pans. Offer expires December 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for full offer details. And I sang this one night uh, just to my mother and my sister, I think. And I think I must have been like 12, something, 12, 13. And my mother cried. And this made such a big impression on me that I realized that I was doing something that actually did something to others. I went uh, uh, to the studio for the first time in my life uh, with my own songs with 15. And every time the musicians were a lot older than me, and every time they were saying, oh, you have no idea and you, you're just a schoolgirl, you don't know what you're doing and so on. And I very early on started to play with genders because there's one song on, on the first album called Boy on the Beach. And of course, the, the journalists, which were mainly men back then, they thought that I was singing to this or about this Boy on the Beach uh, and then I have a, a line where I say, woman by the river, can you taste my love? So they didn't get it that I was being the boy. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Katerina Frank. Welcome. It's it's really Welcome. lovely to see you. I mean, really lovely to see you yeah, because same you know, here. you're also someone uh, connected and of my past, let's say, and uh, and and someone who I have good memories of. So this is this is great, and it's really lovely to see you. Now you had a, in a sense, a, a privileged upbringing, and I don't mean financially, but I mean in a cultural sense. Because your upbringing, although you were born in, in Dusseldorf, I believe, your upbringing was in different countries. Can you tell me, first of all, how you came 
or how that came about? Um, my parents uh, were very adventurous. My father, uh, I was I was born in Düsseldorf, which is North Rhine-Westphalia, how, how you call it, in, uh, and um, and my father is also from there, and he wanted to work. He worked for for uh, Thyssen for a big German um, steel company, and he he wanted to work in other countries. He had even some countries which I don't even know the names or probably had different names uh, back then than today. So I, I can't really say that. But then he had like the choice, the concrete choice between uh, going to uh, Turkey or um, or going to Portugal. And he chose Portugal. I think Turkey was also that he was supposed to go without the family. And, uh, and he wanted to take the family, my, my sister and my mother and me. So yeah, we chose, he chose Portugal. And this was um, shortly after I was born, actually, we were there for a year in Portugal. Uh, I only know it because of some photographs, of course, and about some stories my parents told me. And then we came back to uh, to Dusseldorf, basically to pack up all the stuff. And uh, I think when I was about four years old, we uh, moved to Portugal for good. And then there was the revolution a couple of years later. And um, and my father went to Brazil because the company wasn't, you know, they, they were, it was problematic to to get uh, uh, deals or whatever with, with the country in such a turmoil. So he changed um, work place in the company, in at with the steel company, went to Brazil and after almost a year, the family followed. Uh, but especially my mother and my sister weren't too happy there for several different reasons. And so after two years, two and a half years, we returned back to Portugal, which for me, it was nice. The only thing that wasn't too nice was that I had failed uh, one year in school. And I was returning to uh, to my old school and my classmates from like two years before they were one year ahead of me. So this was a little <laughs> little frustrating, but uh, the rest was okay. It's nice. What languages were you brought up in? German and Portuguese. I mean, because I was very small, I basically learned, of course, I, with four years I could speak, but I was not you know, I wouldn't speak like a like a like a like a child or like a grown up person. So I basically learned to speak Portuguese and German more or less at the same time. And uh, um, I didn't want to go to the when we changed from 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 Germany to Portugal. I didn't want to go to the child's school to the kindergarten. Um, and um, my mother said okay, and I stayed at home with uh, a lady who took care of us and and who worked also for my parents. And I was spent a lot of time with her, and so I learned to speak Portuguese with her, basically. Did you? I mean, you said that your father wanted to keep the family together, and that was one yeah. of the reasons uh, why it you know it took a little while at the start. Um, were you brought up in a very sort of family atmosphere? Or, you know, with a father who obviously had to work very hard and, and you know, had a, had a full-time job, or was he an absent father in any way? 
Well, I would say he was an absent father because he did work very much. And, um, but I think this was just also the whole uh, thing about fathers and families back then is that the father, that the man was going to bring in the money and the man is going to make a career and the woman, the wife stays at home and takes care of the kids. I mean, the thing in Portugal was, we were not like, neither my mother or my father, were no, no academics in the family. My sister then, yes, she she had made, she went to university, but, but um, they were really uh, working people. I mean, not working class, I wouldn't say that, but middle class or something like this. But they, uh, but it was also the time, you know, where you could move up in a company like Thyssen, especially when you're in the, um, in a foreign country, because you could, you can have the chance as a relatively young man to become like the director of that uh, branch of of the German big German company, and so this is what my father definitely wanted to achieve, and and he, he did after a while, but therefore um, he was not much at home. And when he came home, or when he was at home during weekends, he had to find his daughters were being um, brought up very freely and had uh, were very independent uh, at an early age and so he basically had to fight for this daddy thing uh, that we all have to sit at the table and and eat breakfast together or at least do some things together uh, quite early on what was there some form of culture clash between um, your parents and the society that they had gone into in that way well, definitely because uh, it was common and also it was basically um, almost like you have to have this. Um, everybody had a maid, like a housemaid. And in our case, um, we had a housemaid, which she was very, very proud. I wrote a radio play uh, dedicated to this, to Nazare, who I, I was brought up with and whom I learned uh, Portuguese with. And she's she was a very, very strong character. And um, and she lived in the house. She had her own room upstairs with all of us. And um, and my parents definitely were not from, from a background where this was normal. So um, I have a scene in, in this radio play where I tell how how when I was with my mother in the in the whatever living room and she was like sitting with her legs up on the small table and I said hey no is coming <laughs> put your legs down so it was like basically she was uh she was so uh, Nazaria was so used to working to like these huge families with lots of children and and aunts and and uncles and and grandparents and everybody's there and and maybe even with some um some uh, how do you say lord uh, and and lady background you know like these high class people uh, and um this is really funny because we didn't we didn't want to have like these huge tables set with many many uh, different types of forks and knives and stuff and she had to really um you know size down <laughs> with us but uh but i think uh, we we had a great time together were you brought up in any, any form of cultural atmosphere? Because if I remember my childhood, it was really sort of pushed on to me that the most important thing would be to find a job to earn money. It was never about doing something culturally or what you wanted to do. Well, I mean, um, 
we we were lucky in this way because my mother she before the marriage and before having my sister and me she was a um a buchhändlerin how do you say she she worked for a a, a, a bookstore and but you really had to learn this this is uh, really quite a, a thing you have to learn and she so she there were lots of books around and both my parents were um extremely uh, interested in music all sorts of music and of course from my mother's side there was a lot of jazz music and rock music and from my father's side it was was more uh, the or portuguese music or you know uh, uh, moroccan music all sorts of things that they they like to hear so i was surrounded by lots of books and lots of um, music before i started to get into it myself and then they were really into the country uh, they went to so it was not that we just sat around in a in our german community there or something we had lots of portuguese people around and um and also i mean we uh, growing up in school there were not just portuguese people there were french people there were american people it was a big mixture and so in, in that case i was quite lucky but it was really a when we came to Portugal, which was which was at the end of the sixties, it was still a country before the revolution. It was very, very conservative. It is, of course, also very Catholic back then. It was, and um, many things were not normal. Like my mother and and Nazare, uh, the the woman I just talked about, uh, they dare to go in places where they were not supposed to go and have a glass of wine which women are not supposed to do especially not if if not accompanied accompanied by men and um many things were really really like maybe in the 50s or even the 40s in in other countries of europe then and um do you remember how that how that made you feel knowing that your mother or or, or the, the the woman that uh looked after you um how how that made you feel in terms of being a young woman and eventually being in that that you know could be in that position well um i it it, it was how how do you say i mean my mother and and nazare um i mean of course i was still small when they were experiencing all of that but we since we grew up um and our parents left it left us a lot of freedom gave us a lot of freedom um i think we made some experiences which maybe uh, other people other girls in my age wouldn't have made uh, also the way how uh, you are perceived as a girl or a young woman in that in that days i was still a girl i would say but uh, things that would happen in the street how how uh, young other young men or how, how men would talk to you and so i had a sense of of um of that it was not a totally safe space but since i was still a child i didn't even think about any of that and and got in some situations where also nazare came to help and um and we were just playing in the parks and everywhere and there were constantly some some guys in the bushes or so waiting for us and and even following us around and uh, so at one point i remember how nazare came to pick us up because she it was 
getting late or whatever time for dinner and um and she saw that we've been we were being followed by guys so she picked up a stone and and threw it against them and they ran away but so this is uh, this is a little bit the perception i had and and also of course going with public transport uh it was sometimes uh yeah it was different but but i didn't know any other i mean i just know that the difference between what my mother would say or what my father would say or uh how how they moved about i mean even in brazil i remember uh i was small i was still a child and and i remember feeling it unfair uh to not be able to walk alone to the places and just walk around in the cities or go to to a cafe or do something it was I thought it why can't I do this why do the men or the boys can do it and I have to stay away so this was uh, more the sense that I had later on uh, of course I was more um, I wouldn't shut up you know if somebody would, would call me names or whatever I you know I'd rather get into a fight than to just let it happen did you sing as a small child I sang, um, yeah, I sang lullabies. I mean, my mother used to sing lullabies to me. She she had a very nice and soft and beautiful voice. Um, and uh, and I sang sometimes to myself, also to, to help me fall asleep. Um, and... Um, but did you perform for the family at all? Or, you uh, know... I did, I did perform, I, I think... One performance for my family was basically the reason why I I decided that I wanted to become a music a touring musician that I wanted to uh, uh, play for people and this was uh, when I uh, when we were already in Brazil and I started learning um, to play the guitar and and the guitar the teacher he was quite smart he he realized very quickly that I wanted to be able to accompany myself on the guitar that I didn't want to do any in a, a finger uh, picking and licks and whatever but I wanted to just have something to sing to and so I learned lots of songs with him and there was one song Maria Ninguém which um uh, many people have sung even Brigitte Bardot has sung that <laughs> this and um and I sang this one night uh, just to my mother and my sister, I think. And I think I must have been like 12, something, 12, 13. And my mother cried. And this made such a big impression on me that I realized that I was doing something that actually did something to others, I, whatever. I couldn't really, you know, it's like a mother crying is not something that as a child you 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 know put away like that it's it 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 leaves an impression and so this is um i think this was like one of the reasons and the on the other hand also in brazil since my parents were new there and they were getting into the uh, into the life they took us with them before we started school and we went to a, a place uh, which is called the sambon which is where uh, people go for dinner and so it's huge places and they have a stage and a band playing all the time with interpreters coming around and changing interpreters. And uh, so first you eat and then at some point all the, the tables are pushed aside and you um, and people start dancing. And so we were 
uh, on something like that. And uh, my father and I, or just my father, I don't know, got to talk to the musicians. He he played a little bit of guitar too. So he talked to the musicians and I talked to them. And, and then I was allowed to visit the band in their rehearsal room. I don't remember how and when. I just remember that I spent a whole day listening to them rehearsing. I didn't sing. I didn't do anything. I just sat there and I, I felt like this is this is my place. This is where I, what I want to do. I want to have a rehearsal room. I want to uh, make music all day. And then I want to go out and play for people. So, yeah, this was how it started. When I was a teenager, 13 in 1972, Bowie came up and Bowie represented even more than his music he represented a world where I thought um that I could belong as a gay teenager that for me was a world that I felt I could be comfortable in instead of the world of my parents was there an artist for whatever reason uh, I mean I know you're a lesbian and it could be the same reason but the that represented a world where you thought you could belong um I don't really know if if that's what I thought, but I mean, I remember that before or at the same time or sometime later, I don't know, the the energy and the let's say audacity of somebody uh, like Patty Smith in this sense, who was also, he, she also said she's not a trained musician. She, um, she, she had a lot, she had to, a lot to say and, and in, in normal pop music or something, you wouldn't, you wouldn't use so many words and, and you wouldn't put so much energy in one thing. And on the other side, there was Janis Joplin who, who was just somebody who erupted on stage and where you knew this is um this is where she feels the best or the real the realist so i think um these people are or people who are like like the drummer from the who you know keith moon people who just kind of where you could feel this is how they come to life when they go on stage and when they perform and when they play their instrument, and this is where they, um, where they also fight their fights. I mean, it's not just beautiful. It's not just about message. Is the, the the I mean, it it's a message, but it's also it's also a um, how do you say a. a fight with with oneself you know you're actually trying to to understand what's going on with yourself what's under, uh, going on inside of you and sometimes it's more than words can say so this has to come out and so maybe on that side um Janis Joplin was even more important to me than than Patti Smith who who had a different function I, I think she was somebody who due to the the fact that she was coming also from a literary, from lit literature and from poetry and from all these things, which of course there was the connection at my home with books and, and music, uh, who uh, she appealed on that side. But the the mere thing of, if I wanna survive, if I wanna, if I want to um, breathe normally, I have to be become a singer and a performer. So this, that was maybe Janis Joplin then. 
more than I mean, that. talking about Paddy Smith and Janis Joplin, and uh, I mean, I'm a screenwriter today, and I go into my past and the wounds in my past and to be able to write. So I don't yeah. necessarily write directly from my past, but it's a fictional subject, but it, the pain uh, I sort of bring out uh, and that makes it real. So when, if if you're saying that, that, that these are the people that really inspired you, I mean, for me, that's where they were getting, you know, their inspiration was from their dark sort of pain inside. Yeah. Um, when do you th think then you first realized that you could feed into this pain within you to create? Um, I think I I felt because I felt also on. I mean, first of course you have to create. Uh, as a pop musician or a rock musician, and then you go on stage or then you play uh, for for your friends or for people. So first you have to go in in the the songwriting and in the create in this quite lonely creation. Or before you you start working with a band, you just have to write your own songs. So this was uh, <clears throat> something which I would say was a very very concentrated act, and which was I was actually. I don't know if I if I can really explain this, but it was actually something which I could do in my own little room, and I wouldn't I wouldn't just um, think about. I mean, back then it was a lot easier than today. What was happening all around the world, so I could basically concentrate on the only thing that was in me by by writing it down or by playing the guitar for hours and singing words that that would come up. But um, <clears throat> I think I lost my <laughs> my, yeah. my track. <laughs> okay. It was about the pain inside and how that uh, and how you feed on that. Yeah, but but, but this, this is very very concentrated and and I was free from whatever could have been say said or whatever has been said before, or what you know, free from any comments, free from any. Um, uh, um, how do you call it if you if you give something or uh, two five stars or is it just one star or do I put the thumb down? Okay, we didn't have all these things back then, but you know, like other people's opinion. And then on stage, you could you normally you you would say, okay, now she's she she goes on stage and she exposes herself to to all these people uh, who can uh, watch her, maybe sneer or yeah, if, uh, also applaud. But the thing is that when I'm performing on stage and even today, I can get into uh, a position where I'm kind of outside of my body. So whatever I felt and as a as a girl, as a young woman, and also as an, an older woman now, there's lots of body issues. And I mean, back then there were even worse because you wouldn't even in the public eye, uh, in social or in, 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 in videos or whatever, you, you wouldn't see like a woman that didn't, didn't look uh, uh, just absolutely uh, heavenly. You wouldn't see like a normal looking woman. You wouldn't see a person uh, with uh, she who doesn't uh, claim in, uh, any gender. You wouldn't see all these things. So it was basically you had to be so strong to go up on stage and say, "I'm. I don't care. I'm not just this this thing. 
I'm much more, and if I if I'm if I have something to say, if I'm if I'm well prepared to show this to the people, I will be able to just leave it all behind and not not disembody, but but be free, you know, free and light from all the pressure and all the thinking. And so this is really what I always try to achieve. And when I'm working and it's and it's really working out well, I forget about everything. And I don't care, even of the outcome. There, and there is no, there are no rules. There's, I don't want to, I don't have like this thing that I want to achieve. I just want to do it. And the same thing happens if it's a good day. Happens on stage too. So basically, yeah, I want to be free from myself. I don't want to, to encounter myself and all the, the things that I, I do to myself, which basically. Uh, I've absorbed over the years, uh, which I have experienced. I mean, this is how you you grow you grow up. You learn so many things, which are not always the nicest uh, things to learn. I mean, people some people are lucky and they don't have that, but sooner or later you 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 get to a place where you you will you know just something will happen which makes you either go another way turn maybe not turn back but but you or you have to fight it but first of course you also have to understand it so basically all my working is i'm trying to understand what's happening and what happened and what what's my part and what what did i pick up on the way when you came back to germany from uh portugal um were you treated and I don't mean in terms of German society, but this would happen anywhere the way you come back to, were you treated more like an outsider because your experience had been different? Um, I wouldn't say that. Uh, to be honest, I enjoyed it. You know, if I could, I mean, even today, although I'm in Germany for so many years, I, I enjoyed telling people that I... Uh, I had I, I don't know their their TV shows and I don't know uh, maybe even the songs that they listened to when they grew up um, that I I was happy and and I didn't feel like an outsider I didn't feel I mean the 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 main difference was that all the people that I met then all the new people that I I, I was meeting they had like a family background there, a bigger fam family background than I. They had their childhood friends and their school friends and their new acquaintances. And I really didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't have any memories to which everybody could relate to. But um, I was so fixated on music. And since I... Well, I took the freedom, I, I took myself the freedom to do this mainly. I mean, at some point I started doing jobs, odd jobs to to have to earn some money. But I this was what I was doing. So um the connection between the people and I or the, the people I was meeting I was always music and working together or you know, just um creating something. What was the trigger for you to go to Berlin? Uh, well, Berlin was already, uh, I was almost three years in Germany when I moved to Berlin. And this was uh, because I had in Hamburg, I had met some musicians 
uh, who uh, who told me if you want to be a, if you want to start something, you have to go to Berlin. So I went to Berlin. <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, it's interesting because Berlin was, in a sense, the center of the world at that point because of the Cold War. It was, you know, physically seen as, as, as well, it was the place where the bomb was going to go off first, probably. So it was in that sense, uh, <laughs> the center of the world. It was also a very different place back then um, than it is today. And it was a very yeah. unique place in the world. Um, for people who don't know, could you explain what the uniqueness of Berlin was and how you experienced it at first when you got there? Well, of course, the uniqueness was um, mainly that it was like an island in a in a different country, and with the with the wall and 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 of course there was. Um, well, how did I experience this? I mean, it was. I don't know how it is today. If young people come to Berlin today, I hear it's it's also very tough and hard. But that was really tough and hard because it was really it was the early eighties. It was really um, still a torn city. It was it there were uh, streets where you could see the the uh, it was still war war torn. There was a lot of um, uh, blank uh, well not blank spaces but there was a lot of spaces which well there was no houses at all where you could see there had been standing houses so not ruins because they had taken it all down but you could uh, you could see and there was lots of um there was lots of it it was quite poor i would say it was not a rich city it was um Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. it was really still ragged i don't know how to i'll just to explain it was but, but there was a community of of um i i, I sort of say that in a sort of wider sense there was a community of musicians who would swap and you know they would switch and swap with each other in, in each other's bands they would uh work together and then work with someone else so, you know berlin is always talked about in these terms of having yeah, this sort of group of people but were you in that or were no. you an outsider okay no I was not at all in that I mean it might have it might have existed but I didn't I I didn't see that I mean the, the thing is that the musicians I had met in Hamburg they were living they were still living at home so they were living like a very um in in some ways quite um secure place 
as un, under the roof of their their parents' house, and I was I was sharing uh, a two bedroom apartment in Kreuzberg, which was back then really nothing like the Kreuzberg uh, you know today. It was not so gentrified and. And uh, of course, lots of uh, already lots of uh, Turkish people living there, and and um, and lots of students, lots of people who didn't have any money, and um, lots of uh, also punks and and uh, lots of drugs, lots of stuff like that. But but not in in a high class way, not the coke uh, thing, but the really the 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 heroin and the the dirty drugs kind of things. So I was I was kind of in two worlds. I I would go to Zehlendorf to work with my uh, friends or colleagues who had met who had met at, at the music school in Hamburg, and then I returned home and I started working at the supermarket and at places like that to to make money, and um, it was like two worlds. And so when I went home, I stayed there on my own, uh, working with my little. Uh, first, I didn't have even a four track cassette recorder I just had like a cassette player with two two players and and then I was just doing my stuff then and then I would go and earn some money and then I would go to the movies and then I would go back home again and it uh, sounds very were you isolated was it just you it was it was mainly just me because I didn't you know, I didn't, I never studied, I never went to university so and I never went to any sort of a grown-up school um, and the people I knew then by then they were all studying at the university so they had something to do during the day or uh, so and um, I was isolated in a in a sense that I uh, I had maybe more freedom but of course I also uh, I was alone there was not so many people to talk to and to exchange um maybe thoughts who had nothing to do with music or with making music or with with a, a great song that you've heard on the radio or something so it was for some time and then of course when i started to to sing in other people's bands um the main contact was during rehearsals and during singing in other people's bands and there was not such a friendly exchange in a way so there was a time where I also thought maybe you know something's wrong with you and and I was not sure if if I was um I was doing everything right but um I saw then <laughs> a, a, a woman doctor because I thought maybe maybe I'm maybe I also had a lot of headaches and stuff and I thought maybe something wrong with me but she told me first of all to eat better and to and to sleep more and to and to go and meet some people and not be on my own too much so basically like that you're listening to pop the history makers with me steve blame I mean, it sounds like that music was really your friend um, from the yeah. beginning, that it was something that was a constant with you. And maybe also, you know, people always talk about creative compensation through music, and therefore it was something that accompanied you um, the whole time. How did Rainbirds eventually come into being? Um I was singing in a band called Les Black Carnations, which was a band... Uh, 
uh, where the song main songwriter was very much uh, a lover and still is a lover of 60s beat music and you know the velvet underground and all sorts of bands like that and um i started singing in that band i think in in 90 in 85 and we played a lot of shows we also had lots of uh, we were um we played on the radio on on um radio for you it was called back then and there were um no SF Beat, SF Beat, which even before Radio for You, and we even played a couple of live shows, which were recorded then. So and we did small, little small tours, and I was already writing my own songs. So um, I tried to convince uh, the songwriter to to have some of my songs in the repertoire too, but he didn't want to. So <laughs> so when the whole band thing was starting to get a little shaky and I think the, the guitarist wanted to concentrate on his other band and the drummer was moving away to Munich, um, I basically took the chance and also left the band and decided to retreat basically because I had, had been singing in quite a few bands. Uh, <clears throat> and um, work on my own continue to work on my own and and then when if i have like a, a, a sum of songs uh, that i wanted to play to some people uh maybe i could i could start from scratch with my own songs and that was the time uh, when uh, vince clark made yazoo and i was um such a big fan and uh and i thought so maybe if if, if it's such a always the same thing with the bands and they don't want to play my songs. So maybe if I find just one person who, who wants to work with me on my songs and then we, we do some, something like Yazoo and we, we wouldn't need any musicians. We just work the two of us. Um, I met one of those guys, but he didn't, he wasn't, he was on another uh, trip. He didn't, he wasn't keen on doing anything like that. And he, he told me, so why don't you contact that and this musician, and uh, and then uh, uh, they might they they might even other music other people more people, and then you can you can go and find your own band. <coughs> so basically, this is what I've done. I contacted the bass player from Rainbirds, um, Beckman. Um, I played him my songs. We contacted. I contacted the drummer Wolfgang. I played in my songs and uh, I had them on, on cassette and we contacted uh, a guitarist who would, was uh, a lot older than us, uh, who who didn't stick on, didn't stay uh, all the time, but, but in the first year he was, he was playing with us and uh, did a nice guitar stuff, which even made it onto the, the, the first album. And um, yeah, and but we had we also had a keyboarder and we had an another singer and a background vocalist and so we were we even tried something with with uh, brass with saxophones and trumpets and we did a lot of experimentation so we we just worked a lot we uh, played a lot together and then in the end um, as uh, the the a quintet. Um, the, the a woman keyboarder with uh, backing vocals and Wolfgang Beckmann, uh, the guitarist who was called Glenn, 
I don't, I'm sorry to be, to say that. What was his last name? Uh, well, doesn't matter. <laughs> I hope he doesn't see this. Um, uh, we we played our first gig in Villa Kreuzberg, which was a place where many, many up and coming or young bands who were just starting could perform whole shows like double double bills or, or three people on, on the bill or something like that. And shortly before that, I also had played a couple of solo um, gigs, which where I was basically, even before playing the first gig with Rainbirds, we weren't called that yet. Um, uh, or no, 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 we were called it, but then uh, there was some confusion with uh, uh, with the the, per the first person who who I came in contact with, uh, who who then contacted the business. Well, who kind of I could say, um, um, how do you say? I don't know. The word is missing. If if you if you break somebody, if you find somebody oh. and bring it to the to the big, <laughs> big so like business. an A an A R, someone who's someone yeah who, yeah fine yeah, yeah and, okay you know and and he he uh, he saw me on my own playing on my own and was very impressed so basically I I first had to tell everybody yeah but I have a band and I really want to do this with the band so they came to see us can I just ask you there because. Um, <laughs> You know, the music business is a business. And if you're a, a musician and really into music, a lot of people can be, and I completely understand it, and even in, you know, what was my past business, you can be extremely naive and and come in and not really understand the repercussions of the business later on. You were the person that came in with the songs. You were yeah. rainbirds, in, in, yeah. you know, in, in, yeah. in many ways. When you look back, um, do you see that naivety? And and I just wondered what was the impact of that? Uh, well, the naivety was, of course, very big. But for some reason, I had, and and I was, I was very blue eyed. I I, I think even today I have I don't I, I've been reading some books, of course, since then, about the business and about uh, uh, music managers and um, and A and Rs and and people who yeah, so uh, so I know the, the the machinery behind any band is that that is being um, seen or can be seen and heard is very big. So back then, for me, this was still like a group of friends everybody who said oh you're great we're going to be working with you uh, where i considered them as very uh, positively thinking and very helpful and i was very happy very thankful even uh, uh, that that they wanted to work with me and wanted to work uh, first the musicians that they wanted to work with me then the next guys that wanted to work with the whole band so this was my whole uh, thing that basically I was open uh, to everything and basically and I was also wanting to give everybody everything I had to give so <laughs> um, and in, in that sense I, I was on the other hand quite lucky that I had one determination because I had started with uh, my writing my own songs with 13 14 I went uh, uh, to the studio for the first time in my life 
uh, with my own songs with 15. And every time the musicians were a lot older than me, and every time they were saying, oh, you have no idea and you, you're just a schoolgirl, you don't know what you're doing and so on. So there was one thing that was, I, I could even, if I would have been totally soft one day, I would say this, I'm going to, this is a band that will play my songs. I won't be doing any uh, tra-la-la uh, on top of anybody's playbacks. So I will write the songs. I will come with the songs to the rehearsal place or to the studio, and then we start working on it together. So this was really, I'm very uh, clear about that. I was also very clear about the lyrics that, that, I did, that I didn't think that the lyrics are less worth than the music, which was at some point there was a discussion about that. And, and then I had help on another thing is because I wanted the band to be called Rainbirds. And it was very important for me that the band is not the Rainbirds, it's just Rainbirds in a, in a sense that these Rainbirds are the Rainbirds of today and they might stay that way for some time, but they might also change. So it's never going to be the rainbirds. It's going to be always a flock of rainbirds with new ones and uh, coming in and and other ones leaving and returning. So this is really this was really my idea of a band. And uh, so the the first manager we had, which was Thomas Fehlmann, you I'm sure you know him. He um, he told me that let's make like this head of agreements before anything happens and put down those three points. And so on this, on this sense, I was safe basically. And, uh, and also, I mean, we were lucky. We were, we had the, I think one of the most unusual um, label bosses working for, for uh, universal or back then it was called phonogram in Germany um, who, who, after the 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 unexpected success of our debut album changed our contracts i mean uh, he could have just earned like triple of what he had uh, he uh, he was earning um uh, with us but uh, if he didn't have changed the contract but he he was just a cool guy he thought okay we made this contract with a band we didn't know if they were going to make any money if all the expenses we had will ever come back and so uh, even before we played our first tour, it was clear that uh, they were going to have a big revenue. And so he was kind enough to to change it and, and have us get at least something. <laughs> how, did, how did the song <laughs> Blueprint come about? The song Blueprint came about, I was living in a very small, uh, in a one room apartment, one room a very tiny kitchen and and of course a bathroom and and yeah bathroom shower and and uh, toilet and uh, I didn't have much stuff everything I had went into uh, the music every money I earned everything went into music I didn't have a lot of stuff to wear I didn't have lots of things I didn't I just had a mattress on the floor and I think maybe a little table and a chair or something like this in the kitchen <laughs> and um, so I played my guitar and sitting on that mattress. And this is how Blueprint came about. I don't I don't remember how the words came to me. Um, Blueprint, to be honest, is a song that 
that I think even today, I mean, now, I mean, it's been more than 30 years, so I know what Blueprint is about, but I don't think I totally knew what Blueprint was about then. It was about imagining something, about, uh, in this case, imagining uh, the kind of person you want to be and with whom you want to be, your lover, and and that you can do this, you know, you can kind of um, make up your mind who do you, what kind of person you are looking for and who do you want to be with, but you cannot or you should not uh, think that this is going to be your life forever. You shouldn't stick your dreaming and your thinking onto just one image, basically. You should be, you shouldn't do that. You should be uh, aware that um, things are probably not going to turn out how you imagined. And um, and so this is basically what Blueprint uh, was about or what I would say today, which, what Blueprint was about. I don't remember what I thought back then. I just... Um, thought it was very empowering i mean it was very freeing um and um and i felt and it well felt very freeing to me to sing these words and um today i know that uh for better or for worse um the song is still a very big song it's still being played a lot in on radio every time and and it's definitely uh, my most um, successful song, and in, in some way, I, I'm, I, I'm still in there. I'm still doing the same stuff. I'm still living that life, and I'm not. I'm, I'm getting. I'm turning sixty this year, so I'm in a way. I'm trying to free myself, not to free myself of blueprint or of the whole story of that, but to, to. Um, to just, just, um, I don't know, not, not <laughs> to do what I told the people not to do is to really uh, get rid of all the expectations and get rid of all the, the formats and stuff. I mean, my whole, my whole working career was, was trying to break through for, uh, formats and trying to, um, play a new trick on myself to not stay at the same on the same position and so and and um maybe i just want for now to do this without maybe maybe not so much thinking and not so much hard work but just uh you know maybe actually go back to how i started of i just want to play music and forget about all the rest I mean, and it's many, a good time <laughs> many many artists of um, i'm going to say our generation i'm four years older so don't worry about 60 that's young <laughs> uh, many artists of of, of uh, our age um because their success uh first successes are like 30 years ago they're they're going through their back catalog and and looking at things and re-releasing and revisiting um, the past, which is a really interesting thing to do, and it yeah. can be and it can be tough as well. It doesn't necessarily need need to be easy. I just wondered what you're finding out about yourself by revisiting and looking at at the past, and maybe also listening to material uh, that wasn't released back then, and and discovering things about yourself. 
Well, it's it's a, a little um, sh um, bittersweet to to say uh, the least what I'm discovering because now I'm actually I I wanted to last year I, I was uh, I booked myself a tour for November of last year and uh, and I had my I had another small tour in the summer with a uh, in a, with another project and. Um, and of course, it was still a little difficult because of Corona. Everybody was having COVID uh, at some point or the other. Some musicians were uh, ill, and then also I I got COVID myself. And um, I was I wanted to to really go back on tour. I wanted to basically um, celebrate all the the stuff that I had made. I mean, not just my new, the newest songs, with uh, an addition of uh, Sea of Time and Blueprint, and maybe uh, one or two songs from the second Rainbows album, but really uh, 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 from the whole catalog, including my solo albums and whatever, and um, and it was so that basically my health or my my body told me you can't do it. I mean, I was. I got to a point where uh, where I I just had to cancel everything, uh, and uh, since then I haven't played live. I'm I'm still kind of recovering. My cold has nothing to do with it. It's just something out there, and yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was really uh, a moment where I thought, you know, I I this is what I want to do for real. But I think I need to take a break before. I do it because I have been working too hard. I mean, I had working too hard, meaning I have been doing too much effort for something that I dream of should be or could finally become effortless. Um, and I find out that really due to the extreme success of or the, so the big success I had in my early days, um, that for some reason there was this big misunderstanding that doing what I do is hard work. I mean, I don't mean it. I don't mean it in a sense that it, that that I want to be like writing songs like that, pouring out, because this is never going to happen. Everybody knows writing a, a good song, a song with a deeper meaning, or with with like multiple lives. Uh, is nothing that you do very easily. I mean, you can have like those novelty songs, which some so every band has one of these songs, which become extremely successful, uh, and and the band always said, "Oh my God, why did this song become so successful? It doesn't mean anything. It's just <laughs> we're just having fun in the bathtub or something like that." And then it's this huge hit. But trying to to get to find something like this without being a novelty song but a really song with a meaning is really hard work and and for me this is nothing i'm afraid of but all the everything else the 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 organization and the managing and the planning and the 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 timetables and this and that become over the years harder and harder and harder for me because of course my my uh, later albums. I mean, when I when I became a solo artist, I didn't have that big of a success that you had like people lining up wanting to help me. I really had to ask. Oh, I have this new project. I have this new album. Do you want to 
to do this with me. And so it was always, I always returned back to the beginning again. And I came to a point where I said, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to go all the way back because I failed maybe to, to write this next blueprint or because I failed to, to, uh, to stick to the same um, uh, 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 system because I, I, I'm, I'm not this type of artist who repeats herself all the time. <clears throat> so uh, really I want to, what I want to do for the future is to really celebrate the music, not just my own stuff, also celebrate other people's songs, uh, fill them with whatever I have to give and take from them whatever they uh, they give me and and not um trouble uh, not have so much trouble in trying like the neck uh, to find like the next ring uh, rep record label and the next uh management or the next uh, uh tour agency i mean just enjoy myself and this is the bittersweet thing i can i can still after so many years say that i really want to do that uh, and the, uh, the the this is the sweet part and the bitter part is, is that it comes from a very late uh, knowledge with, with that my body taught me that you can't go on that way. I mean, too many things. The body has the the strongest memory. Everything that that happened in the past, uh, things that have been said, things you have to fight for, it's all inside your body. And I think after a certain age, when you kind of slowly step into a uh, into a situation that you already already experienced before your body says no way you're not going to go down that road again uh this doesn't and unfortunately my body had to tell it to me the hard way so <laughs> i couldn't play the guitar anymore i i uh, i still have cramps sometimes though i i singing and feeling all cramped up is not such a <laughs> such a good thing so uh, yeah, I'm 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 on my way of shaking myself free, basically to to maybe next year in or in two years to enjoy uh, some more touring and live performing and so. One thing I can recommend: I do trauma <clears throat> therapy, which is um, yeah. I mean, trauma can mean lots of things. So, but it's trauma from the the past and how it affects your body. Yeah, and and it really is a fascinating uh, form of therapy, and in a sense, owning things that have happened to you within your past. In terms of identity, if I walk down the street and people of a certain age, a lot older now, people of a certain age may recognize me, I'm still MTV. For me, I have nothing to do with MTV at all yeah. in, in my life. I love interviewing people and, and this, this is something that has always been of interest to me. But I see myself much more as a screenwriter and someone who's uh, in, in isolation creative i would say yeah. and that's how i i would more define myself um when you have something that is very a very big past and and a very successful past how do you look at success today what does success actually really mean to you <laughs> sorry success uh at the moment basically means to be success successfully writing new songs or successfully finishing a poem or um writing a store a short story or something um 
but to be honest, I think this was always my 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 uh, this I always considered this being the success um success uh in the sense of 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 uh, find, uh, like commercial success or success of an audience who loves you, who comes to your shows, who pays the tickets, who comes to your shows, who follows you around or buys your albums. This is um, also uh, something that that gives you the the possibility and the uh, the capability to continue having this the success of being a writer and a uh, and a, a, a poet and a, a creator of things which on the first level don't seem to be something that the world needs you know I mean I cannot sit down and say today I'm going to write another song which everybody's been waiting for and it's just that at the end of the day if I wrote a song or a lyric and I think this is really good I want to shout it out from the rooftop um, or tell everybody that I did this and that's success and I mean on the on on the other hand you know with social media you could you could do that I I mean people some people do it every day I'm I'm too of a perfectionist to to be doing that like put out snippets of something new that I'm I'm working on because I I want the people to hear the finished version which I'm going to listen to for the next uh, month uh, on on heavy rotation because I love it so much so that's why I don't put out constantly some small little things and I prefer it that way. I, I don't. I don't miss this to have this capability of putting out so much all the time. But also, that's also I think a, a generational thing. I mean, we have. Uh, I would if somebody from like for instance a, a, a concert um, like somebody who wants to play uh, uh, who wants me to play on his in his club and they ask me to to make a short film and put it on social media telling people to come by I always have to t tell them I'm not going to do this because this will at least take two days until I'm satisfied with the little uh, one minute or three minute things that I've done there and so um, uh, I'll, I'll give you everything I have I have photographs I have a video I have this you, you can do with it what you want but I'm not going to um, spend my day uh, trying to make something that I'm happy with, you know, <laughs> so I'd rather be, uh, you know, making cut ups and stuff and, and hope that between the lines, there's the new, a uh, new uh, lyric that I'm going to sing instead of um, trying to, to make a nice uh, video for, I, I don't know. I know it's not, it's not very, um, uh, it's not, how do you say uh, top of the, how people should work or people mostly work today. But this is also because I continue. Uh, I don't have like, like this staff around me that I call up and say, hey, come on, put up the cameras and uh, let's do it. Um, uh, so, uh, well, I'm I'm more of an enigma than <laughs> working in the in the in the shadow. <laughs> I, want, I want to end with a question that um, I hope this is okay because it's a generational thing. If we were if we were young today and we were starting out, no one would give a shit that I'm a gay man and you're a lesbian. No one yeah. would even think about it. It wouldn't yeah. be the identity that we would get in public. When I was on MTV, uh, 
well, they had a problem about me being gay, but on the other side, I didn't want to be defined as gay because I felt I'm a TV presenter, but I'm yeah. not a gay TV presenter. Do you see what I mean? Then the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was it for you back then? And how aware were you of actually sort of holding on to your own I, own identity and owning it rather than that, than giving it away in a sense? Well, it, it was also a, a tricky situation because I... Uh, I never uh, before uh, with the with Rainbird with the first Rainbirds lineup. Um, I was in no relationship, and I had no idea what I was, and I didn't really care. It was not my main issue to to find out if if I like uh, girls or boys or whatever, or if if I like anybody at all. <laughs> I just want to sing my songs. But uh, of course, I, I started uh, writing my songs and I started exploring also my own uh, uh, um, feelings and 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 visions or, or what what I thought was important. And I very early on started to play with genders because there's one song on, on the first album called Boy on the Beach. And of course, the the journalists, which were mainly men, Back then, they thought that I was singing to this or about this boy on the beach. Uh, and then I have a, a line where I say, woman by the river, can you taste my love? So they didn't get it that I was being the boy. And I was uh, I was trying, <laughs> imploring this woman. And on the second Rainbow's album, there is a song, Jesus First. I'm not a Christian person, but I, I wrote it um, because I'd seen... Uh, um, a TV uh, uh, thing about a, a, a woman who went into rehab because of, I think, drinking, heavy drinking. And and she went into a, a very religious, very Catholic rehab center. And, and they were telling her, she was uh, a lesbian, they were telling her that part of her problem uh, were her gayness. And, and so she was talking about how that she she was she would feel good and happy to be helped by these people but on the other side she uh, on the other side she was being asked to deny who she was and so at the same time um there was like i think back then there was a talk about that Whitney Houston was gay and um and i was a big Whitney Houston fan of course and so uh, jesus first is basically uh me and I and you and Whitney Houston getting into a threesome with uh, with Jesus, you know, because you know we 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 didn't we we knew we were doing something which was not uh, not well seen, but we couldn't stop doing it. We we we, we so we said so. Let's invite Jesus in and have a, a, a happy threesome, and no. Nobody, nobody asked me about the song. Nobody wanted to know. And nowadays, I think uh, they really, by not talking to me about it, they were just hiding it. They were just putting it under the the, the covers or whatever. So they didn't have to talk about this, this fact that I was telling a, a happy gay story. And it was really, it's still a happy song. I mean, I love this song. Um, but only when the the first lineup when I broke up the first lineup to continue as a duo <coughs> with Ulrika Hage and we became also partners which was not 
told anybody. I mean, the management knew and they were, they were, I mean, everybody was like, don't necessarily tell it to everybody. And, um, and I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide it, but I'm not going to promote it. So, and also uh, Ulrike Hage back then, she didn't feel the want or the need to promote it in any way. And so we'd never talked about it. Um, but in a sense, there was this big, big time that uh, I think Stern magazine had a, a newspaper, like the front cover of people who were outing themselves. And uh, the fourth Rainbirds album was about to come out. And we had had something like a shitstorm with our third Rainbirds album because it was not the boys and me. It was two women working together. And uh, so even before the music came out, uh, we had very bad reviews and and uh, people bad-mouthing it and whatever. <clears throat> so what we really wanted to was to have our new album be perceived as an album of two musicians who evolved even further, who stick to their love for music. And so, so we didn't want to be on that cover. We said, no, we don't. We want to, to promote our new album as musicians and not as uh, two freshly outed, uh, two, a freshly outed couple that makes music together. So I got so many bad letters from fans who, who were, uh, or former fans who were disappointed. I, I, I understand their disappointment, but I wanted them to understand me too. You know, I thought, come on, this is, this is double, triple hard to try to to uh, be f perceived as a as a great musician as a great lyricist as a, a as a good singer and um and to 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 have a standing as as a woman in a business which was still very much dominated by male musicians and by the male record companies and so on so give me a break let me just you know, stick to that. But but there were some some uh, some disappointment there on this side. And for some time, I wasn't really uh, invited back into the uh, gay icon type of thing. But but I think it changed with with, with the years, <laughs> and with some more, new, more explicit songs that I wrote later on in German. I was kind of um, I think it was okay. <laughs> they came to terms with the fact that I didn't went with a banner and uh, you know that I uh, that my banner was music and music and not uh, the the rainbow flag. <laughs> yeah, well, it took MTV five years to get used to me as a gay man and then they found out that I was uh, fairly popular and they came to me and said would I present a gay music show? And I just went, what, what, am I going to play I Will Survive for the rest of my life? Yeah. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> was also the thing that that they uh, that I was then many, many times just, or we were, and then later on I invited on like some, uh, the Teddy Awards, or, you know, things which were which were uh, gay, connected to, to the gay scene. But... Yeah, uh, then I I just uh, it was okay because okay then I did it wasn't even an issue anymore, but um, in in that time when when it was so difficult to really be uh, heard, 
just plainly because you are a musician, you're making your work. Um, I was not willing to give that up. So at the same time. But that's completely understandable. It's been wonderful talking to you. I'm sorry I didn't cover, you know, all your career, but I really wanted to talk about the early years because particularly about what made you into you is always in, in incredibly fascinating. I think you've had a really fascinating life. Um, I hope uh, that in a couple of years or a year and a half, you're you're back on tour and you feel yeah. well enough and confident enough to go out there and uh, and and tour again. And I hope you also find out m many more things about yourself by looking back through the past, because I think that's a, a really important thing to do of, of people, I'm going to say of our age, uh, because it is something that I think um, is about self-development and change and being comfortable with yourself and finding things out and yeah. and being present in the world, which is great. And I mean, in fact, is I really do have to to go back uh, also in, uh, uh, into my albums because finally, after some time, I have a, a, a great new contact to um, the the back catalogue uh, Thomas Tissen from Universal, and I, and I told him uh, you for, you forgot to release the second the third Rainbirds album. It's not available digital. And so there will be a release finally, digitally of of Two Faces. So I will be doing some uh, stuff also for Two Faces, and and then there are quite a few um, jubilees <laughs> happening uh, right now. It's thirty five years of debut album, debut album, and and Blueprint, and then next year there will be the second album, which has some very beloved songs. I mean, they're not as big as Blueprint, but they, uh, they there's a big audience, especially for Sea of Time or Love is a Better Word or songs like that. And so we are working closely together to uh, to really celebrate the, the back catalogue of Rainbirds. And, and I have uh, a couple of still more two more Rainbirds albums that I'm going to re-release from the 90s and um, so there's lots of stuff coming and it's a good way to see to look back and to see what have I done and what what else is there to do and I'm also uh, I'm happy I, I'm, I'm trying to you know ask people to to invite me to ask me uh, do you want to do something with me do you want to uh, work with me or let's celebrate another musician together it's it's all about celebration <laughs> well, that's brilliant thank you so much i really enjoyed it katharina and um yeah i wish you all the success uh in the future and i hope to see you again at one point thank you very much thank you steve it was great to see you I know fitness is important, but I don't have time to keep up with all the fads and celebrity workouts that come and go. I need something backed by real science that will get real results and fits into my schedule. Caliber has been a lifesaver. It's a science-based fitness coaching program covering strength, nutrition, and healthy habits, completely customized to my needs and abilities. All I did was fill out their online assessment, and Caliber did the rest. The best part is, I'm not in it alone. Caliber paired me with an expert personal trainer who checks on my progress and keeps me motivated and on track. And I'm not the only one getting results. Caliber is top rated on Trustpilot with 4.9 out of 5 stars. 
On average, members achieve a 20% or better improvement in their body composition by week 12 of the program. Start a science-based fitness program you'll actually stick with. Get $100 off at CaliberStrong.com slash podcast. That's CaliberStrong.com slash podcast. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.